Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to Think Again, a program presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation working for social change for over 25 years. I'm Jacques Boulet. And I'm Jennifer Burrell. Today, at last, we are going to talk about the voice referendum. We've ventured into this a few, a few times in the past, and over many months really, only to have Aboriginal guests withdrawing because of the toxic turn that debates have taken. They didn't want to be a focus of some of the nastiness that was that has crept in, particularly on social media. Yeah, which is a great shame. Mm. So, seeing the referendum is drawing closed on the 14th of October, in a couple of weeks, we thought we should get our skates on, especially as postal voting will be open in less than two weeks. Mm. Next week we'll have an Aboriginal guest who will talk about the referendum, but for this program we're going to revisit the Australian Constitution, seeing that the referendum is all about a change in the Constitution. Indeed, and see what all the fuss is about. It intends, therefore, to ask us whether we'd agree to have an Aboriginal advisory group to Parliament, a group that would advise on policies and issues affecting Aboriginal lives. Mm, that's right. But suddenly all <coughs> excuse me, all types of fears about changing the constitution <laughs> have been whipped up. As if it's some sacred template that we're all supposed to follow or even following. As if the constitution even sets up the parameters of our democracy. Yeah, it's a little bit like the Ten Commandments for Christians and we know how that's been going. <laughs> But nothing could be further from the truth. As Barry Jones said in the Saturday paper in early August, the no case seems to carry the subtext, quote, I oppose any change to the Australian Constitution, although I have never read it and have, a, have, have no idea what's in it. <laughs> mm. yeah, so Jacques and I have been noticing something similar, that people who are getting really worried about inserting a simple provision in the Constitution for an Aboriginal advisory voice to Parliament seem to have no idea what the Australian Constitution actually lays out, mm -hmm. what's in it, and, and whether we're following it anyway. So we've talked about this in a few past programs. Um, for example, last year, 2022, in late June and early July. And then again, we talked about the Constitution in early September. So we thought we'd give a bit of a recap with a few fun facts thrown in. Mm -hmm. So, firstly, the Constitution for the Federation of Our States that came into effect in 1901 embeds us firmly in subjection to the English monarch. It says nothing about dem democracy, and actually the word's not even mentioned once in the Constitution. Yeah, that's right. Australia does not adhere, adhere very closely to the Constitution at all in the way it is governed. We actually have a dual system. First, the Constitution, 
and second, the Westminster tradition, the latter obviously referring to the English tradition. England does not have a constitution, rather it has a set of fundamental principles established by the political development of the English people, embodied in long-accepted precedence. That is a quote from Etymology Online. Yeah, so it, it's, it's basically the setting of precedents and conventions, that's like right. in common law. Mm -hmm. So so that's why uh, when people were affronted by ex-PM Scott Morrison secretly taking on the portfolios of other ministers a few years ago, they didn't complain this being a, about this being a violation of the Constitution because the Constitution wasn't violated when he did that. He was adhering to the Constitution. No, what people complained about was it was in violation of Westminster traditions. Yeah, that is, Scott Morrison defied long-accepted precedents or conventions. It just wasn't cricket, mm -hmm. as they say. <laughs> so our Constitution lays out, um, to go to some of the basics, so the Constitution lays out three arms of government, the legislative, the executive, and the judiciary. The legislative arm is what we think of most when we think about our government or how we're governed. Uh, the legislative arm consists of the Parliament of Australia where laws are debated and decided on. We're often told that our Parliament is made up of the House of Representatives and the Senate. But that's not exactly right, at least according to the Constitution. According to our Constitution, the Parliament um, has three components. It has an important, all-powerful third co component that actually holds power over the other two. And that third component that we don't talk about is the monarch, <laughs> mm -hmm. now King Charles, represented by the Governor-General in Australia. So we don't hear much about that. Even in educational materials for school children, they... I guess people are too embarrassed to put it in, <laughs> yeah. in the literature. So our government is like, a tr you could think of it like a triangle with the three points being monarch at the top and the other two points of the triangle being Senate and the House of Representatives. Yeah, another thing in our constitution that is largely unspoken is is the provision for a federal executive council, what, FEC. What, what the, the FEC? <laughs> The Federal Executive Council is made of government ministers who advise the monarch through his representative, the Governor-General. Yeah, so, of course, the, the idea is that the mon monarch is the top boss <laughs> and ministers are there to merely advise them. In fact, there are no ministers or prime ministers in the Constitution as we understand them. No ministers or PM who form and lead a government are in the Constitution. Mm -hmm. So strictly speaking, when you vote for ministers, you are really voting for advisors to the Crown, now King Charles. <laughs> That's what is set out in the Constitution anyway. Even when elected into their advisor status, ministers are not recognised until they are appointed by the Governor-General representing the Crown. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's no such thing as cabinet in the Constitution either. In fact, cabinet 
is not a legal entity at all. <laughs> it falls under the Westminster tradition of following precedents and conventions that we have developed over time and were sort of franchised to the British colonies and remained in that mysterious entity of the Commonwealth. Mm, so one of the great exports from mm. Britain. Yeah, anyway, we could go on, but you get the idea, listeners. Barry Jones sums up the anomaly of our Constitution best, and I quote, As written in the Constitution, sovereignty is still centred in Britain. Read as written, the Constitution would see the office of Prime Minister disappear. There would be no cabinet or opposition. There is no reference to democracy or democratic practice, or what happens after an election. Executive power is exercised by the Governor-General, who would also act as Commander-in-Chief, perhaps in the field. He would make all appointments, frame the budget and veto legislation, or refer to Buckingham, Buckingham House at whim, mm -hmm. end of quote, which is what we found out in 1975, when Governor-General John Kerr sacked our democratically elected Prime Minister Gough Whitlam confirming that Australia remained a franchise of the monarch, whose local manager, the Governor-General, had the power to dissolve Parliament. Yeah. So, with all that in mind, I still think the Constitution has important symbolic power and, and it can be invoked to bring in change and make Australia a fairer society such as providing Aboriginal people with a powerful voice to Parliament, speaking on policies and issues that affect their lives. And, and to quote Barry Jones again, because he does express this really well, quote, The voice, however constituted by the Parliament, has the potential to stimulate informed debate, set priorities and lead to practical outcomes, unquote. Barry Jones also points out that racism which was inherent in the Constitution from the start. Mm -hmm. It is far from an equal playing field document as some no-campaigners would have it. Yeah, well, firstly, our 1901 Constitution made only two references to Aboriginal people, and both were negative. The Commonwealth could make no laws for the benefit of Aboriginal people, and in determining representation in the Parliament, Aboriginal people could not be uh, could not be counted in the census. Mm. So I should add that there have been steps toward correcting this over time, including the 1967 referendum. Anyway, so much for the constitution. But uh, what about the precedents for government developed over time within our Westminster tradition? Yeah, and before we go there, let's have some music while we think about it. We're listening to I Am In Control by Baker Boy, who incidentally is supporting a yes vote. You got 
so break through, come on. They come, they go, but this I know, I will not let them hold me back no more. I should ask for, I give my all, my future, I am in control. Listening to Think Again on 3CR Radio, a 55 AM on your dial and streaming live at 3CR.org.au. Today we're talking about our dual system of governments in Australia, drawn from the Constitution, but perhaps more so from the Westminster tradition, the English tradition, of following principles and conventions developed over time. Before the break, we pointed out that the Constitution doesn't provide a simple template for how we are governed at all. In fact, we ignore large parts of it and follow principles and conventions developed over time, as I just said. Let's have a bit of a look of what these fundamental principles really were at the time of Australia's Federation as a nation in 1901. I'm referring, as I said before, to the fundamental principles which were established by the political development of the English people embodied in long-accepted precedents, which is what uh, Etymology Online defines constitutional as, mm. or the absence, absence of a written document in the English system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we know that these principles and precedents included the White Australia policy in 1901, and of course for a long time after that. The white Australian policy intended to keep all coloured people, quote unquote, unquote, as they were referred to, out to keep them out. And the idea that Aborigines were a dying race, as 
Tony Wright reminded us recently of in the Saturday Age on the 2nd of September, writing about Alfred Deakin, the main author of our Constitution. So let's review some of these other conventions and precedents for governing Australia based on fundamental principles developed and established over time in the Westminster English tradition. Mm -hmm. They still included the consequences of the long accepted precedent of slavery. As we have talked about in our May and early June programs, while slavery was nominally abolished mid-1850s, in practice it continued in many other forms. Former U.S. slaveholders established themselves in Victoria, for example. They obtained, quote-unquote, vast tracts of land with the U.S. dollars they had received as compensation for losing their slavery-based businesses at the end of the Civil War in the United States. Mm, so, then there's a precedent of invasion, right? The, the long-accepted precedent of the military and mercantile right and might to invade other people's lands. So that was a, one of the conventions, precedents and principles in the Westminster system. So just I'll just say that again, the long accepted precedent of the military and mercantile right and might to invade other people's lands and claim them anywhere for the Crown and driving people off their lands and killing them if they resisted. Uh, Hong Kong and South Africa come to mind, uh, um, including Australia, of course. Mm -hmm. Was as, con as contemporary or around ni uh, 1901. Mm. Not to mention the precedent of rounding up and incarcerating First Nations or native peoples, that is. As the, they called them. That's right. The long accepted precedents to concentrate these vanquished people in missions. Yeah, because they were seen as vanquished. Totally. It, it was a eugenic way of thinking, um, popular at the time, yep. considered to be scientific. Mm. Exactly. That, that these people, because of evolution, yes. were going to die out anyway. And I use the word concentrate because the Brits were indeed the inventors of the concentration camp, mm. as well as taking their children and assisting them, quote-unquote, through breeding out the race, again, quote-unquote, yeah. through such policies and practices, calling these policies and practices protection. Some still won't do want wonders to justify these things to this day. Yeah. So, and there's the other president for, gov for governing um, of robbing First Peoples of their humanity. And I'm specifically referring to the long accepted president to consider First Nations people part of the continent's fauna and flora <laughs> till 1967 or so when Aboriginal people finally were included in the census and were sort of considered humans and citizens. Yeah, yeah. still some people here consider that still an achievement <laughs> rather than the end of one type of colonialism and the beginning of a lesser and more hidden form of colonisation. By which you mean? Well, what's happening now. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so, 
they're just a few of the conventions and principles in the Westminster tradition of government that we imported um, from Britain, mm -hmm. um, legitimising slavery, invasions and incarcerating First Peoples on missions amongst um, a range of other onslaughts. And looking back at some of our very early programs in July and August 2019, we talked about the scourge of populism raising its ugly head, especially in the US, the UK and Australia. We were still in the middle of the Trump, Brexit and Morrison populist disasters. And we warned about the ways in which populism undermines the very principles of democracy and civil awareness. And yesterday's The New Daily, on the 20th of September, has political editor James Robertson's article titled Brexit Reloaded. No campaign hailed as a populist pivot. That's the title. And according to Robertson, and I quote him, the man who led the campaign to have Britain quit the European Union says the no campaign against the indigenous voice to Parliament has brought Australian politics to its Brexit moment. I'm watching, I'm cheering, said Nigel Farage this week of declining support for the voice. Unquote. And Robertson continues, and I quote further, this feels to me a bit like an Australian Brexit moment, Farage said of the No campaign. This should be a real slap in the face for the metropolitan elites, especially in Melbourne and Sydney. Farage's brand of populism has been a potent influence on conservative politics, both in the UK and America, where, led by Donald Trump, it now controls the Republican Party. Unquote. The article, Robertson's uh, article, confirms that much of the, more, the most popular online material against the voice comes from social media influencers who established followers campaigning against COVID-19 restrictions and dealt in conspiracies about global government and the World Economic Forum. In The Guardian, on the 4th of September, Julianne Schultz puts the question as follows, and I quote her, Can the meaningful recognition consensus, which took generations to nurture before it emerged at Uluru five years ago, be preserved by the model of the Yes campaign? Or will it be swamped by the virtual poison of the new manufactured consensus online and its media amplification? This will be a test for Australia, as it is for every country grappling with the change in the new information order. Unquote. Mm. In response to one of the more vocal Aboriginal No campaigners, that colonialism has been good for Aboriginal people because it brought them water, as she said, the Central Land Council, which represents 75 communities across nine regions, called those remarks an insult to the survivors of historical atrocities like, for example, the Coniston Massacre in 1928. And I quote the Land Council, Our families still do not all have access to affordable healthy food, drinkable water and sustainable water supplies. Yes, End of quote. 
and you'd have to think of not to mention the stolen generations, yeah? Mm. Yeah. So what better argument could there be that good government policies affecting Aboriginal people need Aboriginal I input and advice? Really, just looking at the st what has happened to mm -hmm. Aboriginal people in this country and the policies that have been brought in um, mm -hmm. that affect their lives in such devastating ways. That's right. So, um, as Auntie Esme Bamblett said, qu I'll quote her, governments will get better outcomes if they listen to Aboriginal people who know what our community needs, unquote. And Esme Bamblett, um, who's from the Aboriginal Advancement League, also had this to say. We've had policies and programs forced onto us for 200 years, and we know there's a better way. That better way is for Aboriginal people to have a voice to Parliament, so we can have a say about the decisions that affect us. It will help our communities thrive again. And when we thrive, we can share our culture and knowledge of this land which will benefit all Australians. So, and does. Mm -hmm. so sorry, Jacques, I just wanted yeah. to... Yeah, sorry, yeah, what? Sure. yeah, I just wanted to say that doesn't sound divisive to me at all. Oh, right, yes, you're <laughs> quite right, Jacques. <laughs> so to sum up, as we've been focusing on the, our form of government in this program, the Constitution and Westminster traditions that direct our form of governance. So... I think our, our point, Jacques, is we shouldn't be afraid of tampering mm -hmm. with the constitution in the, um, in the referendum. After all, we mostly ignore it. <laughs> we mostly ignore its templates for monarchist government anyway, most of the time. I'd also like to point out that a yes vote to an Aboriginal voice, for an Aboriginal voice to parliament would be just the beginning. Mm -hmm. The ongoing work would be ensuring its representation of local Aboriginal communities around Australia and making sure that Parliament respects the voice and puts in place policies that improve Aboriginal lives on the ground. So to say it's not a silver bu bullet um, and it won't necessarily be effective or solve everything is really just saying the bleeding obvious. Mm -hmm. um, as with uh, anything worthwhile in social change, it's ongoing work. Um, and I guess um, I'd argue that it's um, a voice, having a, a representative voice, Aboriginal voice to Parliament, I would say it's necessary even if it's not sufficient in itself. It's a good start. Yeah, it's a good start. And it would certainly release a world of possibilities for a better future, not just for Aboriginal people, but for all Australians. Mm-hmm. And on to community announcements. Jacques, did you want to talk about yes. the Borderlands talks? Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, we are holding our second uh, talk about alternative economics and uh, a possible better way of running our economic systems uh, on the first Thursday of next month, which is the 5th of October, where we will be talking with Sally Quinn who is a specialist and a member, if not the chair, of the uh, social enterprises in Victoria. I think, I think it's Victoria, maybe even Australia. Mm -hmm. And she will be talking about social enterprises. So uh, five, the 5th of, of October, 7 7.30 uh, at night in our new place in 30A Pickett Street. Mm. 
And if you want to uh, get support the Yes campaign, you can go to www.yes23.com.au. And as we always say, if you need help connecting to the internet, just go to your local library and ask your uh, librarian for assistance. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio and thinking again about the matters we raised. If you would want to send us a message, you can email Borderlands, borders at borderlands.org.au. Our past programs are available by podcast on a variety of platforms and via the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. Meanwhile, please enjoy... listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.